special guest tonight or today or whatever you are around the world it doesn't matter it depends on where you are and what have you um the uh tonight just a special segment just gonna do like uh well i got my cousin jared on jared Grimm. he is a descendant of one of the uh, Grimm brothers which one is it uh jared Yeah. Um. I know. Let me look. Oh, I know. I talked to my other cousin on my dad's side about this. He laid it out. I'd have to look it up real quick, but I know that with them being in Germany still, that's how they still kept up with the. Two M's. When he came over, when Andrew came over, oh, in the late 1700s, they eventually they dropped the second M at one point. Mm-hmm. They had settled, I believe, in Maryland, and then they migrated to Pennsylvania, Ohio, then up to here. Cool. So that for a lot of you that don't are familiar, I mean, there's Mother Mother Goose and all these other little stories out there. I don't know too much about them, but there's the most popular are the Grimm brothers, and Jared is a descendant of the the Grimm brothers. And uh, so I thought about having him on and sharing some of his stories that he has encountered in the paranormal and and, uh, just go from there, just have a long conversation about, you know, stuff that we encountered so what's one of your uh uh biggest cases that you've ever handled jared uh one of our biggest cases location size wise would have to be hillview manor in pennsylvania um and along with edinburgh manor in iowa 
Those were both. Oh, Hillview was more or less a uh, old folks home, uh, nursing home type setting. Okay. Edinburgh, Edinburgh Manor back in Iowa was, was used to be a poor farm, and it held um, like uh, the degenerates of society is where they would send them. Okay. Anybody who was uh, uh, mentally retarded or you know the dregs of society, they'd send them there. The families would send them there, and they would. Just, you know, write them off, leave them there. But the biggest one for me personally would be <clears throat> the Edinburgh Manor when I was heading out there. Um, coming up to the day of the investigation, I always had this really weird, strange feeling like I shouldn't go into that place by myself. I don't know why. And finally getting there, I started looking through records. They have uh, photocopies and scans of old records they found. Come to find out I had two ancestors that were residents there going way back in the 40s. Hmm. Um, so I'm figuring that's kind of what was drawing me to that place. And it was just kind of neat to actually have an investigation just by sheer you know, coincidence that I had two long family members that stayed there at one. And that place wasn't too bad. It was actually pretty nice. We had, throughout the night, um, kept getting sounds from one end of the building to the other. Something, it would, something would make a sound at one end. We'd go up there. Then we'd hear something on the other end of the building. Heads going back and forth all night long. So I don't know. haven't finished reviewing evidence of that place yet, but I'm, I'm guessing we had... Uh, Caught a few things, but I guess we're gonna have to, you know, see what we thought. But that'll be on one of the episodes that we put on YouTube to look around. Okay, and uh, where can where can people find your episodes? They're gonna be on YouTube under the channel "Uncovering the Unseen." That is our team um, YouTube page. The team is the Michigan Bay Paranormal Team. You can check us out on Facebook, and we also have Facebook for Uncovering the Unseen, also for all of the news and updates. But we're, we're going to be trying to release Season 1 here probably next month, I'm guessing, this month or next month. We have five invest, five locations we did for this year, and Edinburgh was going to be the last one. And we have the William Peter Mansion, which me and you did here not too long ago. Mm-hmm. It's going to be uh, season two. Uh, yeah, Jared and I, we went and uh, pretty much did the, you know, did a lot of filming. Uh, the we're at William Pier Mansion, and um, we just uh, yeah, wanted to do kind of a documentary before it gets passed on to a new new owner. And um, she wanted, uh, in the end, she wanted the the spirits gone. And uh, so she asked me to cast him out, and so I did a. Well, we all did. We did a pretty much together. We did a, a cleansing of the whole place, and and so we pretty much filmed that. And it's going to be a pretty much a free documentary. I'm going to be putting together on uh, on YouTube. Um, so still a lot of post production going on about that, and. 
And uh, I know that. Uh, are you still interested in looking for the dog man? Sure. Yeah, we're. I'm up for anything, anytime. Yeah, there's Michigan. I mean, that's pretty much all over the place. Um, it's a worldwide phenomenon now. Um, but I have a pretty, pretty good idea what's going on just from being in the occult uh, when I was younger. But um, the there's Michigan's got this legend of this dog man started in Wexford County in the late eight, 1800s. Two lumberjacks up near Cadillac had uh, found, you know, were encountered this beastly creature walking on haunches which are kind of like a backwards knees like a dog and uh, a torso like a man and a head like a dog. And um, so there's a lot of legends about what, what it is. Uh, some people think it's an actual werewolf phenomenon going on. Uh, so some people think that it's a, just a cryptid. It's a kind of a new creature or whatever. And some others think that it's Dinopithecus, which is a giant baboon. So, I I kind of lean toward Dinopithecus, but uh, if I if I told the public what I thought what it is, I, I think they would probably have me in asylum. <laughs> 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 just uh, just from for some of the people I know in the occult and uh, you know in higher orders of Satanism. I'm not I'm not talking about Church of Satan. You know, it's just there's some crazy stuff that goes on um, and they do still do human sacrifice and they if I well I'll, I'll actually tell it I actually wrote about it in one of my books how they actually do human sacrifice still one of them is is that they do get some some satanic cults I'm not talking about like I said I'm not talking about the temple of set or the church of satan but they do coincide somehow with an uh, abortion clinic. Right. And they will go and get these, they'll work with, and they'll get the aborted fetuses, and that's how they will do this human sacrifice. They will take the fetus, and uh, actually they'll consume it, and thinking that it's, there's some sort of magic involved. There's like a, they believe that human sacrifice, animal sacrifice releases uh, releases magic in which they, they can use um, so it's uh, yeah. it's, that, that, that'd be uh, that'd be definitely interesting <clears throat> yeah so I mean actually I'll, I'll tell the, the main theory about what I think is going on I don't, you, you know, I don't care if you think I'm, I'm crazy or not but um, just from in higher lo higher levels of Satanism, I'm talking like really high. Um, there is a point in where a Satanist uh, has to make a decision uh, what they want to, what branch that they want to go down. They want to go down either the um, vampirism route or they want to go down the werewolf type route. Right. And there are um, some areas where people do uh, do the. Uh, now I'm going to talk about more about this in my book, Anatomy of Demonic Possession, because for one example, um, when I get to it here, um, 
It's the case like I told talked about before about Jane Jane Roberts, the uh, unknown founder of um, the New Age movement. That night when they had encountered the spirit of Seth, which they found out later, which was actually uh, Set, the Egyptian god Set, the god of evil, and to to find out if uh, he was actually real, what they did was they held a seance. And Seth uh, asked uh, Robert Butts, Jane's husband, to, um, to er, for everybody to concentrate on her hand. And which they did, they looked at her hand and they watched it and it started morphing into a paw. And then Seth asked Robert to touch it, which he did, and he described the sensation as... Uh, being very, uh, being moist, um, uh, cold to the touch, furry, of course. And so demons do have, if they ex- the possession is extensive enough, in which I witnessed one possession where it's extensive enough where the demon was actually sucking the life out of the woman. And she was actually in her 50s, and she looked like she was in her late 60s. They will actually manipulate the life and transform it. If they so you're talking wrinkles and oh, yeah. baggy eyes and pale face, like literally sucking us a lot of people. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, so at the at the highest levels of Satanism, see the Bible talks about it with King Nebuchadnezzar. He actually went through a period of madness in which he actually went into the wilderness and was eating off bugs and all other kinds of stuff, and he was acting like a beast. But eventually he came out of it and went back and began ruling again. Okay. And um, so it's actually a curse. And so these people going around, and you know, you know, for one, for one, folks, um, you got ca- your kangaroos, you got your koala bears, they're only native to Oceania, uh, Australia. Yeah. You got some animals that are only native to Africa, and you got some native to Europe and North America and so on. Why is, for, for one, you got to ask yourself, why is this kind of creature, this dog man, why is it a worldwide phenomenon? The other just, thing, like, so just like Sasquatch, every culture... Mm-hmm. And every kind of has their own version of Sasquatch. It's called a different name. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is that <clears throat> humans are worldwide. We're everywhere, and so are these dogmen. They're everywhere. So there's a correlation here. And if you d- if you learn how to do research in college, there's got to be a correlation to make, to confirm your hypothesis. So I just know from experience and my knowledge in the occult that I believe you don't have to I believe I know what's going on and that there are um, I, I remember back in when I was in fourth grade there was a there was a teacher who was adamant that we all thought she was crazy she was adamant that there were real vampires and real werewolves yeah. well, well later on when I got involved in more in the occult <clears throat> I didn't think she was crazy they're out there. Oh, yeah. They're just hiding in the shadows, and they're real people with these real abilities by using uh, use of the demonic, and they're able to uh, able to transform. 
Now, uh, what triggers them trans- can they do that at will? Or is it something where the whole boat just full moon transforms them? No, it's, there's actually, that's a whole myth about the whole moon thing. The, uh, um, a vampire is, you know, this is going to be like a normal person. They're actually alive. They just have this burning sensation inside of them, and they do go well develop fangs to to go out and uh, they have this bloodlust. And then some vampires even join certain covens of, mm-hmm. of witches, and of course, real witches are they're all female. Who will, who will let them uh, suck their blood. And uh, uh, now from what I've heard, I, I don't really keep track of like where vampires are, that type of thing. I'm not really into vampire phenomena, but the uh, from what uh, my friend John Mueller said, that uh, there seems to be a lot of them down in, in Louisiana. And... Uh, but as for as for werewolves, um, I mean, there's they're more of like the like a guard type thing to keep uh, people away from satanic ceremonies. And if you ever are walking through the woods and you see a bunch of people in black cloaks, you want to leave right away because there is eventually going to be something else that's watching you. I mean, there are guards. They keep the uh, they keep uh, people away from um, from watching anything or interfering that kind of thing. Yeah. The uh, the only other need that these people have is to when they, when when they when it happens and they can come out day or night. People even have witnessed them seen seen them day you know day or night and. Um, uh, they just go out in the woods and take off their clothes and wait for the transformation, and then they go out and spend time in the woods for a while. Nice. Yeah. So, I don't and, know. Uh, topic change. Looking back at uh, Mother Cousin's research after both the Grimm brothers, <clears throat> she clarified that they would have been fourth cousins. Their great grandfather. And my fifth great grandfather would have been brothers. So, really long way, but still kind of neat that they're related. Mm hmm. Cool. That, that's, how, that's how the tree is connected, anyways. So, what other stories you got? Oh, let's see. We went down to a few years ago to the Velisca Axe Murder House in Iowa. And the story behind that is back in 1912, there was eight murders in this one house. It was a father and mother, their four kids, and two of uh, their kids' friends stayed the night. They had uh, like a church potluck type thing. And they came home, went all to bed. And they figured that the killer, there was an attic above the kitchen you get to from the second floor. And they figured the killer had to stay in there all day and had killed Mr. Moore with the sharp side of the axe and then all the rest of them, including the kids with the blunt side of the axe. 
stained. He had covered all their faces with some piece of clothing, shirt, pants, whatever. Covered all the mirrors in the house and got out and all the doors are still locked. Don't find out the next morning, you know, I have a neighbor that you get to know your neighbor's routines. Okay, they're out every morning, 7 o'clock, feeding the chickens, whatever. Well, come a couple hours later, neighbors still hadn't noticed that they had come out yet for their morning chores. And let's go find out that all the doors are still locked. Got a hold of Mr. Moore's brother. He had a spare key. Got in, swept on the bodies. And to this day, they still, still unsolved. Murder weapon. Don't know where it's at because it was a really shoddy police investigation, police work back then. But uh, we were there for a two-night investigation. And first night, there was just four of us. And we went in there any way we usually can with asking questions. Who are you? Where are you from? What year is it? Just trying to get some form of communication established. And... <clears throat> We were at home base, and this father came up with his two kids checking out the house. And they thought it was a really cool tourist thing in the middle of the night, 1 o'clock in the morning. Well, his son was really interested in what we do, so we had a home base, and we asked him, Hey, you know, you want to go check out the house inside since you've pretty much had free reign the whole night. So, uh, one of our other investigators, one of our guest investigators, the daughter and the father went walking through the house. I'm back at home base with the son, the other guy, and we see this orb come down from the second floor on the staircase, goes through the kitchen, in the living room, and it looked like it went to the girl's leg. Well, come to find out, at that point, she had mentioned like something that either touched her leg or a mosquito bite or something on her leg at that point. And... We had a couple other EVPs happen that night. Second night, we go back, set up. About 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, I tell the other three guys, this is, hey, just stay out here. I'm going to go inside my house by myself for an hour. And the recorder that I have, we plug headphones into it. You can listen to live recording ads happening. And so I have an old antique axe that they had in the museum there. And they may not be the murder weapon, they don't know, but it was old enough, it could have been. So I'm walking that through the house, using it as a trigger object, and I'm trying to piss it off, whatever's in there, trying to piss whatever off, calling that everything but a white boy, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, the language that's coming out of my mouth wouldn't be even suitable for the most obscure brothels in the town. But... Um, get up to the second floor and the kids are in the kids room on the, on the bed. I'm talking, I says, all right, listen, asshole. I says, well, you came in here first night. We were courteous. We were kind. Trying to communicate with you. Well, you well, this is a family friendly show. You can't swear. Oh, sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you better keep your finger on the beat button. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so I'm like, all right. You want an asshole, you got it. And clear as day over the recording, a recorder headphones that year worked with me. Just class A EVP response. 
and the feeling I got from it was an arrogant was you know you work with me I'll work with you but I got that I marked it told the guys to go on base so we're going to recheck this and where is it it's all it was and that's that's I got one in there that was my goal I got what I wanted I walked out and I'm still getting chills this day talking about that experience hmm now one case uh well one place I'm sorry that that you and I both had went to, but on separate occasions, I went with uh, Shan Sylvia down to Bobby Mackey's, and uh, yeah, and I went, I went there, and uh, you know, we were just experiencing a lot of stuff. And but you, on the other hand, you said that you didn't experience much. So well, me personally, the first time I was down there, I. Uh, did experience some scratches on my leg, and we were in the one. You remember that little office they called the cash room? Yeah, where I think big, where the big safe was. Yeah, I think so. We were in there one time. I was just taking still pictures with the camera, and I was in one of the chairs, and another kid was sitting in another chair, and what looked like form of a black mass over him. Hmm. Over a course of like three or four pictures, and then it just went away. And, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, you have your standard questions when you go in for an investigation. Some things you generate questions based on location specifics. And this first time we were down there, at the opposite end of the stage, you had almost pool tables back And one of the claims was is that there was a prostitution spirit by the name of Bunny. So me and another investigator sitting back there answering, asking questions, trying to get a response, and me thinking outside the box, I had a hundred dollar bill on my wallet, and I put it on the table. I says, hey, Bunny, I got a hundred dollars here for it. What can I get for a hundred bucks? <laughs> it's a legitimate question to consider who we're investigating. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there, and I'm not going to get much, and I kind of I looked at my partner, I'm like, if I got a razor right now, that could be considered paranormal evidence. <laughs> 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 well, I don't know. <laughs> so, cut to the second time we were down there a few years ago, setting up home base, and they gave us a uh, tour of the place. And I told Bryson them, I says, just go ahead and go, I've done it before, you know, some people have never been there, they can a tour of the place and one of our guest investigators Jessica they're in the basement she came out and says I got scratched like, are you kidding me so she showed me the back of her shoulder there's three distinct lines down her shoulder that she got scratched just on the tour broad daylight still and come that time throughout the night had noticed uh like around with the mechanical bull is, um, seen shadows. Uh, we did catch an apparition there at the end of the bar. Um, heard all sorts of things all night, footsteps and like a table moving and whatnot. But a lot of things was shadows and just hearing stuff and even setting up that second time. Do you remember how they had that ramp going up from the outside to that little set of French doors? We were setting it up. One of our cameras right there, 
as long as the one cable could reach. Is that over by the bowl? Um, no, it's the entrance to get into Bobby Mackey. He's walking out the street. Oh, yeah. Ramp, yeah. Yeah. a set of French doors at the top of the ramp. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm trying to figure out how to keep those French doors around the springs, so I was trying to figure out a way how to keep them open for the camera. And I had my back turned. Taylor and I believe Zach were with us. I heard one of the chairs move. Taylor saw it. And I'm like, did that chair just seriously move? She goes, yep. I'm like, this is going to be an interesting night. Well, yeah, a lot of things happened in that place. I mean, even the first time we were there, we had a uh, two of the members of the Saginaw Valley group that were with us. They were lesbians, and back in the men's room used to be the mob boss's office. She remembers one time she walked back in there, like someone, something grabbed her chest. She's like, yep, I'm gone, and walked right back out. (laughs) So I do believe that is a very highly active location. Mm -hmm. I've heard all sorts of theories and whatnot behind it all, being that it's crossroads of a ley line, there's a portal to fell there, but... That well they dug out there, I'm not too sure that it's got too much stuff going on with it, but, you know, it all depends on what people bring into the place, too. If they bring in all negative energies, it's going to stick with it. You know, this whole thing, like, where people talk about vortexes and portals of hell and stuff like that, well, it's, I'll quote, uh, basically, from uh, Randy Irvin. He lives up in Standish, Michigan. He's um, he's an ex-Wiccan, and he he was he told a story a long time ago on a haunting when that was very popular on uh, oh gosh what channel was that A and E at the time, mm-hmm. and his book he, he wrote he wrote a story in the book uh, the house on Church Street, and he told me one time just from his experience and. And I already knew this anyway from from being in the, in the occult. And he said that the the veil he took a um, he took out a um, a Kleenex and he pointed it up at me and he poked a hole right through it. He says the veil between us and the unseen world is uh, to be able to pierce it is, is just as easy as pointing your finger through as Kleenex and it truly is now the the poor of the hell thing is if I take let's see here I'm in my room in, in a room trying to think of an object uh, okay my bottle of water if I take my bottle of water and I use it to summon a demon that thing now becomes a portal to hell that's yeah. that's basically what a portal to hell is if you use a Ouija board to summon up spirit you know, it's evil spirit. It's, you know, that's a portal to hell now. That's why I hate Ouija boards. It's a doorway. Yeah. Um, that's why, I mean, you ask John Zaffis. John Zaffis, he has, collects a lot of things in his warehouse. It's not an open museum, but he's got stuff in, his, in a warehouse, basically. Yeah. And uh, it's all haunted, all haunted objects. He said the number one thing that people give him to get rid of is Ouija boards. And that was the result of my my demonic possession was from a Ouija board. Well, actually, it was two Ouija boards. There was two ladies who were we- using Ouija boards at the time, and and uh, 
I was trying to use the uh, the guides that I had at the time, the so-called guides, to try and figure out what the spirit was saying and say it before they could spell it on the Ouija boards. I was trying to play a joke. Yes. I knew that stuff works. The stuff works. And, uh, of course, it wasn't working at the time, but then after a while, as I was channeling more, it started to work. And then, you see, when a spirit, you're using something like a Ouija board, it frustrates a spirit so much because it's got to move your hands around. It's using something called iomotor movement. And your subconscious, somebody's subconscious is actually moving the board, moving the uh, plache on the board. And the, the demon is actually attached to your sub, that person's subconscious. So even though that person may think that they're not moving the, moving the, uh, moving the plache on the board, they actually are. So that's how that works. It's called, yeah, look it up. It's called audio motor movement. Audio motor movement. Yeah, it's it's a subconscious thing. So, and it's the same thing with a pendulum. Um, that's how uh, uh, dowsing rods work too, because you're using audio motor movement. You're actually got a spirit attached to you, and it's actually talking to you through your your subconscious mind, and you're actually moving them. You don't realize it doesn't feel like it, but you are. Now, what happens if the spirit can't spell and it's illiterate? <laughs> Actually, that's why I went in and I learned uh, graphology and handwriting analysis because I was seeing in a lot of my cases the demons were actually writing. Okay. And, and I like, okay. And it's a psychological analysis of a person's personality when you learn graphology or handwriting analysis. And it, it's actually accurate because if you learn about every stroke, what they mean, and so forth. I mean, it's it's very basic too. I mean, anybody can learn handwriting analysis. It's very easy. If you got like a, if your R, your loop, the top loop on your R, when you write it is very big, then you're a very headstrong person. You're very intelligent. Um, if your handwriting is kind of narrow and small, you're more of a heart type person. You live in the now and. You don't think about the, the past, the future. You think about the now. Um, well, more if it's if it's leaning forward or actually leaning straight. If your handwriting is leaning forward, it means you're thinking of the future. If it's leaning back, you're actually thinking of the past. And if your handwriting is actually like you say, your G or your J, your loop is very the lower loop is very uh, very profound. It's more sexual. So, so I, I, I learned uh, handwriting analysis to try and decipher, get in the head of a demon more when I saw handwriting. But um, it actually frustrated a little bit of me a little bit because, but not so much because more handwriting analysis is more of studying like the cursive writing. And uh, but actually, demons. Most of them I've seen have actually they they actually write in you know regular letters. Now, will demons respond back in your native language or any native language of what they're used to? Yeah, though I've uh, 
most of the cases I've actually uh, I handled were actually more in Hebrew. Okay. Which really astounded me. I wish I could find more witnesses of my demonic possession because I remember one of my best friend that was there at the time, his name is Fred, he actually said that I was speaking a, a weird language. And sometimes it's even just babbling because they're actually the authors of confusion, whereas in Colossians the Bible says that that, that God is not the author of confusion. So they try to... Uh, um, they try to confuse people during an exorcism as much as possible. The more okay. more that they can confuse people during an exorcism, the more that they they can try to gain control. So I mean, it's it's very frustrating during an exorcism because you know that the demon is trying to gain control of the situation, where whereas you you're in control, you're trying to be in control, and. Uh, you know, Sometimes I've had to just like stop the situation, and say, "Okay, you know what? Go down, go down, make them go down, make the original, the actual person come back, and take a break, and just be like, okay, we have to, you know, think another strategy here or something to go on." But yeah, you know, I just wonder if you have a demon that comes from, say, ancient Mesopotamia or whatever, mm-hmm. or ancient. Italy or Rome, I mean, will it be more beneficial to be able to speak to them in their native language, like Italian or something like that, versus trying to get them to communicate with you in English or, or whatnot? Yeah, they'll speak all kinds of languages, usually usually the region that they, they're originally from. Okay. And it's usually a dead giveaway. Yeah. And, you know, I, I laugh personally because it's... They're, they try to be smart, but yet they're stupid. Because, just like that, that's a great example is the language. It's like, I know as an exorcist that if they start talking to me in Hebrew, I'm like, okay, this is some sort of, either it's either Christian or Jew- Jewish related. Duh. It brings out their identity. Their true identity. Yeah, it kind of give, brings out their, it's like a trail. Helps me, yeah. It actually helps me to find out their name and their function because that's really what we want to do is try and get their name and their function then you can pinpoint on how to get rid of them yeah gotcha so I mean, a lot of people think that uh, that a uh, demonic case is well, or for a case to be demonic it's got to be it's got to be extreme and everything usually people that say that don't have any experience with the demonic whatsoever or know what's going on or never been ed- educated on it and it, it, it frustrates me a bit quite a bit because really what I, you, I don't know if you'd take this as a as a fence as a paranormal investigator but really biblically what what is going on what the bible says uh, in genesis we have cain and abel and, and Cain slew Abel, and of course he died. He he bled, and so when God showed up, of course he already knew what happened, but he wanted to confront Cain. He said, "What hast thou done? You, your your brother's blood cries up to me from the ground." That's the first, not only the first murder, but also the first haunting. See what? So what happens is that there's all around the world. There's these spirits called familiars. 
or sometimes lying spirits. In the Bible, you can read that in uh, 1 Kings, where some of the spirits have decided, well, I'm going to become a lying spirit and go to them and, and pretty much mock them, where, you know, pretend. And the Bible also says that, that the devil um, disguises himself as an angel of light, which is pretty much representat- rep- represents what demons do, is they're able to dis- disguise themselves. So you got all these spirits around the world uh, called familiars. And what they do is they watch you 24-7. And then when, let's say, you're in your house, somebody comes in your, in your, your home, and there's five ways a haunting starts. It's either a murder, an evil deed, a summoning. Uh, let's see, what's the, what's the other two? I can't think of them right offhand. Um, but any of those, any of those five, that have, has to happen for a, a haunting. Oh, tor- torment is another one. That's why we see that most prisons are all, you know, old prisons are haunted. Yeah. Um, most places that. You know, you see all these investigators investigate on television, have had a murder happen. You know, there's some sort something, of... Something tragic. Yeah, something tragic, an evil deed, a summoning of a, of a, of a spirit, demon there. Because the Bible only talks about, there's only two kinds of spirits. There's evil, either an angel or a demon. So all these familiars watch people 24-7, and they're actually there, demons are actually... Uh, exists for a purpose, and if you 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 uh, you have this bit of knowledge like I do, then um, you understand how to cast them out, and how and how how to make it a lot easier on yourself. So, if you look back at Cain and Abel, and Abel died; his blood cried up from the ground. All all of, all of this. That has to do because we're all we're all sinners. We're actually we're actually trespassing on certain spirits' property when we sin. Yep. They they uh, they want to go and prosecute you before God when you when you trespass. For example, like in Book of Acts, Paul's walking along, and all of a sudden there's this woman who is a soothsayer, a medium. And he goes up to her and casts out the spirit of divination out of her. Doesn't give a name, it's just a functional spirit. It's a spirit of divination. There's lying spirits. There's lustful spirits. There's all different kinds of spirits out there with, with certain functions, and that's their property. And when the Lord's Prayer says, Forgive us of our trespasses. So you're trespassing on certain spirits as property. There's a spirit of fear too, and I I like to call him the gatekeeper because once he's he's in you, then he's going to leave the door open for other spirits to come in. Okay. And um, so these familiars they watch you twenty four seven, and then when you are you die tragically, like say from a murder, somebody come breaks into your home shoot you and you have um you know you're uh, actually an innocent person you know um 
you're just you, you you've done good in your life you're um you know you're you're setting your you're setting your life straight the the familiar um goes before god and accuse accuse accuses the situation and seeks justice because there's injustice that has happened and so what they'll do is they'll portray the they'll portray themselves as as you okay i know it's difficult to explain but it's an automatic situation for them because demons operate through the law because the law ultimately's ultimate goal is death and so are demons they they want to take take break you down and they want to see you die and that's why every time I before I do an exorcism, you know, I go through stages of counseling and their healing, and I present the law to the person that I'm I'm doing a deliverance on. I'll take them right through the Ten Commandments, and usually, like that, a demon pops forward and tries to stop the situation when I present the law because they know what I'm doing. The right. law is perfect in converting the soul. The Bible says. So, once the the person realizes that they're a sinner and their conscience has gone back into their head, and the Holy Spirit can talk to them, and then they can get saved. And so, a demon knows that when that happens, they're they're uh, just in, in, within the courtroom. They're losing all rights over the person. Uh, they're losing control of the situation justice is starting to be served and then they have to get they have to leave okay so well, in a, that makes sense so when like when we went into the the mansion and uh-huh. i cleansed the place i i did a blessing on it there was all these spirits in there these familiars portraying all these people who have had torture happen to them uh, I don't even. I don't think that there was a murder that happened there, was there? Uh, I can't remember actually. There, there was certainly evil deeds that happened there, and yes. I'm pretty pretty sure that there was a cult happening there also. People were breaking in, doing occult rituals and stuff. So there's a summoning. There's summoning that that was going on there. So you got all these familiar spirits that went that came. They're in. They went into that mansion. And they were familiar with the situation of the history of the mansion. And then, of course, by bringing in the Holy Spirit, we're blessing the place. And the Holy Spirit, we're asking that justice would be served and that um, kick all these uh, familiars out, out. Now, what happens after a spirit is cast out of a place, of course, the Bible says... The Jesus says, a spirit will go out from a, from a person and travel the world looking for a new home, but then when it can't find any, it will try to go back to its original place. And then because it was um, cast out by a you know really strong person, it will try to bring more in to, to fortify its home so that it, can't, it won't be able to leave. And that's the... What I, I like to call the infrastructure of evil, and what I try to do is I try to break that down uh, so that I can get at the main, the top demon who's in charge, 
and so that he doesn't have very much strength and so the people in the room don't have to face levitations or face stuff moving or or uh, it, it can't jump into other people that kind of thing so I really try to I really try to st take a take charge in the situation because uh, if you, the more the little ones that you can cast out before getting to the big one the more that the big one doesn't have any power. Just going to them, there's strength in numbers. Yeah, there's strength in numbers and in the demonic. Usually, there's always, like I said, there's, I call them uppers and I call them lowers. The lowers are just little guys. And like I said, the spirit of fear just tries to open the door up for everybody. Because he's the opposite of faith. And he'll let in as many of them as they want. And it's re it's really funny because when you when you talk to demons that are in the possessed, they they're actually they hate each other, but they unite for a common cause, which is the breaking down of that person. It's really strange. They're forced to work together. Mm -hmm. What I like to do, what I like to do sometimes too, is talk to one. Yeah, that's like in a medium range type of power. I try to draw one out for, uh, uh, to come forward. And I'll start talking to him, and I'll say, well, hey, do you like the, uh, what do you think of the upper that's in there? Do you like him? No, I don't, I don't like him. Why don't you like him? Oh, because he just, he pressures us and takes our power. And Well, why don't you guys just gang up on him and take charge? So I'll try to divide and conquer. <laughs> right. Get so. the, little, the little brothers fighting against the big brothers. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I try to cause some chaos among them so that, the, you know, the more that they're divided, the more easier, you know, all the little guys, <clears throat> all the little guys just leave because they don't want to mess with God. Right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Some pod, future podcast, I'll have to talk about. <clears throat> I'll have to talk about dissociatives. Oh, that uh, the multiple personality thing. Yeah, and I, I, that's that just concerns me right there because there's um, a lot of pastors out there who try to do exorcisms, and I want to wanted to make a specific podcast to talk about that because you know there's too many pastors out there that think that dissociatives are are demons and for I mean for I one the dissociative was actually a medically diagnosed yeah um, disease yeah it's actually a, a, a there's a division within the psychiatric and psychological communities about dissociative identity disorder because some okay. some believe it some don't the uh, psychologist that I was seeing, uh, still seeing, you know, just to talk to and help me with my po uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, he uh, he actually believes in dissociatives, and, uh, and he even actually taught me some stuff that I didn't know about, and which I'll, I'll use in future exorcisms. Yeah. Like I said, I, I have a, like I told you before, I, there is a, 
there's a case that's possibly going to happen. We we don't know yet because one of my uh, I don't know if I told you the whole story or not, but one of my one of my old apprentices, uh, I believe she's right out of the Midland area or so. Um, I'm not going to go into detail about it, but she has a has a case that she's asked me to to get involved in to find out for sure if this guy is possessed and I I want her to do the exorcism and I just want to sit off this sit off it to the side and just observe and to interact when when need be when she asks for my help and it's uh, he's got I mean just from what I can tell you know he's it sounds like it but uh, I, uh, of course, we have an object, objective diagnosis about the situation, you know, these kind of things. We don't believe a case until a, some sort of evidence or the demon themselves appears. Yeah. So, <clears throat> he's got super strength. Um, when he comes forward, um, witnesses have said that he's got black eyes. His eyes turn black, and he has this. Uh, grin on which you know if you've ever seen the demonic look when they come forward you know that's part of it i talk about some of that in in my book how to be a demonologist i even give pictures of of uh native type of masks with wide-eyed that's usually the the, uh, demonic look when they come forward and um so just some of the other things that she told me that it, it sounds like it, but like I said, I'm not going to believe it till I see it. Right. And, uh, of course we want to help this guy. And, but, uh, the, now the father, I believe is, in, is involved and wants to get him committed. But I told her, I'm like, well, Michigan doesn't have asylums anymore like that. And they, he would have to go into, well, what, what they actually do it's crazy. I don't understand why they do it, but if somebody can't be uh, um, restrained, they'll actually like, take them to a prison, to a special holding area, and hold them there. I mean, like this, it makes you kind of wish that they would bring the old asylums kind of back, just so that somebody can live in luxury there and not be not be strained, type of thing. Um, oh, that would be kind of nice, but of course the state doesn't have any money for that. Yeah, but so I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when you find out, let me know. I'll, I'll tag along. Okay. Maybe uh, is it possible to get actual like recordings or video of it happening or anything like that? Oh, that's uh, usually have to ask the uh, ask permission get stuff signed, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, like all the stuff that I'm releasing here on my podcast is, you know, old exorcisms and deliverances and, you know, the, these people have signed releases. And so, for it, you know, I always have somebody to sign a release, you know, when they're asking for my help and I make them understand, like, hey, this isn't my fight. I'm here to help you. But you're actually the ones fighting. Yeah. So, um... Like I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't care to record or anything like that. But um, I, like I said, I don't have very many 
exorcisms on recording just because it's a private private session session but i'm yeah. re- i'm releasing what i have and maybe may even more just so that for teaching purposes that people are listening that they can learn um, yeah that's, that's what i was thinking about it as you know mm-hmm. voice re- take voice recorder and a camera and just to actually have that physical evidence of what's going on that way you can either go back review it or you can burn and Excuse me. Take a drink of water. Yeah, usually, um, usually, like you guys, that I don't like. I like you know, I don't do investigations. I just I uh, I like it when a paranormal group investigates a place for me so that I can have evidence and I can know what's going on and then usually when I'm sitting right there in front of somebody and talking to them um, that's usually all the evidence I can I need I don't really need to go back and listen to any recordings or videos or anything like that Um, usually it's always cut and dry right there when they show up and get their name and their function and and it's pretty much downhill for the demon there right especially if the person because the main thing that i tell people is where the demon is attached it's not just gonna you know if it's like the this whole gin crap that's going on it's just because it's a, a the 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 gin idea in the paranormal community now listen up folks that you that believe this crap the only reason why that there's this idea of jinn is because they cannot figure out why the demon isn't leaving so it's got to be something else and so they came up with this idea of the jinn the jinn is basically the same thing as a demon in islam it's made uh-huh. of, made of, according to the Quran. It's made of smokeless fire. Angels are made of the air, and and man is made of the earth, which is pretty much the same thing that the Bible says. It's not the jinn. A jinn is is no different than a demon in Islam. And the reason why a a demon will not leave a place. Or a person is because the legal rights have not been ex- explored, and the person is not healed emotionally. That's where they attach to. They attach to the emotional pain, and they stick there. And because they stay there, that's where they are. The in the emotional pain. And once that's healed, that's gone, they got nothing to attach to, but the only thing that keeps them there is the legal rights. And if you find out what legal rights that the demon has and remove those, they're screwed. That makes sense. That's it. And of course, there's strongholds, and strongholds are usually addictions or something that fortifies 
their uh, their stay there so that and fortifies the legal right. Now there there usually is three categories on what allows a demon to to come into to a person. It's got to be either one occult, volitional, or emotional. And uh, it's um, you divide them up even more. There's six. Uh, occult wise, it's got to be occult or curses. Uh-huh. Volitional, willful sin, sins that you just keep on doing and you're not stopping. And uh, addiction, of course, and then emotional, either a, a abandonment or abuse. And I, I think I've told you this before, I've gotten it down to where I just ask, ask two questions to a woman when they claim that they're under demonic possession. Okay. Well, have you ever been, have you ever done anything in the occult? And have you ever been sexually abused? If they answer yes to two of those, they're, they gotta, they, they're in possession of a demon. Guarantee it. That's one thing I've I've learned from experience. I mean, yeah. all these women that I have done deliverance on, and asking them questions, talking, counseling, I always found that that those two stick out. I noticed the correlation with all the cases I've done with with women is that they've had they've done stuff in the occult, and plus they've been sexually abused, and then. Take them through the Ten Commandments, start the deliverance process, and demons start popping up. What are you doing? I don't like what you're doing. Stop. Go away. Now, does it have to be one or the other or both? Answer. Uh, I, I, like, like I said, I usually ask the two questions. Have you ever done anything in the occult? Have you ever been sexually abused? And if they say yes to, to both of those together yeah what if they just answer answer yes to one of them well I explore it more okay explore it more ask more questions and there's usually another correlation to it like somebody says well I've done something in the occult and you know my father abandoned me when I was young okay well let's explore that more uh-huh. yeah Usually, usually guys, guys in, in demonic possession face abandonment from their father. And women, they've uh, experienced some sort of sexual abuse when they were young from either an uncle or father or a family friend. And then, of course, because of that pain that they carry with them, they want, they feel vulnerable. And so when they experience or know somebody in the occult and they see how powerful it is well they want that power so that they can protect themselves and then they can they start meddling with the occult and then boom that's what pretty much happened to me i mean i i wasn't sexually abused i was just um you know i just wanted power that's why i got in the occult you know i met some guys or some people in the occult and and uh Learned their experiences and and uh, 
what they were doing and saw how powerful it was and I wanted that kind of power. So I learned all I could to uh, to get that power. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I pretty much, you know, somebody tells me I'm in the occult or I'm a, I'm a pagan, I'm or uh, yada yada yada. You know, I I know why you're doing it because I done it. I even used to be an atheist before all that, and I knew the only reason why there's people that are claiming to be atheists is because they know that if there is a God, they wouldn't be able to do what they wanted to do. That's the only reason why they're an atheist. I know, because I used to be one. Tell you what. Tell you what, because I, I've done this kind of thing with other groups before. Yeah. You know, this is a genuine possession. A demon comes up. I'll let him talk to you. Okay. And I'll let him tell you what's going on. Okay. What, and what they're doing. And it will blow your mind. And I know that there's people out there now that listen to this. They're like, "Well, demons lie." Well, yeah, they, yeah, they do. But when you compel them by the by the power of the Holy Spirit and threaten them with torment, they'll tell the truth. They don't want to get tormented by the Holy Spirit. Right. Like I remember this time really sticks out. <laughs> it always makes me laugh. I remember down in the down in Holly, um, after that deliverance. Um, we went down to the basement of the antique shop. I don't know what the device was, but this guy had this device that would amplify sound through his headphones. And uh, and he's like, yeah, I think I hear something far away. I hear whispering. I said, hey, let me know if you hear anything. And I, I yelled out, um, oh, what was it? You know, I, I yelled out that to the spirit to cause torment upon them. I asked the Holy Spirit to cause torment upon them in Jesus' name. 
according to John 14, 14. And it says, ask anything in my name and it will happen. And his eyes started to widen up. He's like, oh my God. I'm like, like what? What would you hear? And he's like, I just heard somebody scream down like, it sounded like a, a, like a tunnel. And so the, of course, God is omnipresent. And he's going to search, the Holy Spirit's going to search out that spirit and cause torment upon him. But I always laugh about that and even do it during exorcisms. You know, they're misbehaving, they'll cause torment. Well, that's quite something. I'll take the voice recorder and my headphones and listen to it as it's recording pieces of anything that the human ear cannot hear. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know. You try those things on, you know how sensitive they can be. Oh, yeah. That'd be interesting right there in itself. Mm. I don't know. I'm all good for anything. I don't have any fear when it comes to that kind of stuff. It seems. Yeah, I've been wanting to kind of go back to Bobby Mackey's again, especially with you. Just go there and, you know, just see what the, you know, the, like I'm not going to investigate, of course, but just, I usually just observe during a case. Yeah. Like everybody else is investigating and they're asking questions and stuff like that. And I'll just sit back and, and watch, observe, and notice the, uh, spirits interactions and what they're doing and what they're saying and then you know I might ask a few questions myself usually the one question I ask is did Jesus come in the flesh and if they say no they're not of God well that's just I'm lying anyway right? yeah I mean they don't because I mean, they're going to know the truth anyways. And one of John's letters, he says, he says that if, um, basically, if, any, if a spirit um, you know, says that, that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, Christ didn't come in the flesh, then it's, it's an antichrist. Which means that it's not it's not of God, pretty much. Well, I'm game. Let's go. <laughs> the only thing is, is like the other all, all the rumors is basically true about that place. I don't know if you guys experienced it or not, but I know that the team that I went with uh, with the, with the Sovias, Shannon and Jeff Sovia, you know, afterwards that that team just got at each other's throat just was divided and I felt like I was the monkey in the middle because I was friends with everybody yeah but they were the Sylvia's were just uh, attacking the other two guys and the other two guys were just attacking them and I was just like man what's going on here you know and then that's then afterwards I've heard the rumors how when people go there and investigate the place their team, and they leave, their team is just divided. I was just like, well, that's crazy. Which, you know, it pretty much sounds what, what demons do, is they did try to divide. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think we really... 
time we were there. I don't, I don't think we really we were divided afterward, though. But I'm not I'm not quite sure. That's good. All right. Well, it looks like that's pretty much all the time that we're going to have. And uh, I want to thank Jared for for coming on, sharing some of his stories, some hey, grim. No thank you. Some grim tales. <laughs> <laughs> Should start your own podcast and call it that, Grim Tales. All right. Um. So. So I hope that's uh. That's pretty much all I have, and that's pretty much all all Jared has, I believe, and. Yeah, so, for now, anyways, I'm sure yeah. there'll be more stories, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, we'll have you on again, and we'll listen to them. Sounds good. Okay, everybody, have a great time and uh, stay safe. And and uh, you know, Halloween's coming up, and you know, again, stay stay safe.